we can meet the first layer more like agreement, which just has less charge to it. Yeah. And then, but then the second layer really is like, but my boundary actually does not require your agreement. Yes. It simply is what happens in this space. Right. It simply is. Right. And then what's really important about that is that there is this place where ultimately they are ours to keep. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. My guest today is Kendra Kunov. Kendra is one of the most powerful leaders I know. Join us as we talk about the vital existence and recognition of boundaries as key to living happier, healthier, and a more complete life. If you're anything like me, you'll find freedom and power in the difference between learning to say no and creating boundaries from your deepest desire. Take some time, listen once for information, listen again for transformation. It's time for the Trauma Hiders Club. Welcome. Kendra, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I am too. Yeah. You know, here's Kendra who put out a shout out saying, I'd love to be a guest on a podcast. I have things to talk about. And knowing Kendra the way that I do, I have, <laughs> I had no doubt that that Kendra, that you have many, many things to talk about. And specifically where I thought we could have an amazing conversation is around boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So before we jump into that, just a question for you. Here you are in the Trauma Hiders Club. What are you hiding right now? Hmm. What am I hiding right now? It's funny, this first thing that popped up, I don't know that I'm hiding this, but I would say like, like I tend to reveal a lot and I've had, I'm not particularly talking about this, but I would say I'm probably having less sex than most people think mm -hmm. I'm having. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do. I think about how much sex you're having on a regular basis. <laughs> I'm like, is Kendra like, is she, how often is she been having sex every night, every night and every morning and yeah in the middle of the day, like running home for a nooner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I love that response. Well, I made a post recently that was 
can't remember exactly what sparked it, but it was kind of like, hey, dating a relationship coach doesn't necessarily mean that like the relationship is amazing. Mm. And it wasn't even really about me or about anybody in particular. There was something kind of sparked that. And it's in that realm. Like, like, I don't know that I think that people think that I'm having sex all the time, but I think there is this idea like, oh, if you teach polarity or if you teach relationship or if you talk about sex, you know, that must mean dot, dot, dot. Yeah, really. (laughs) I love that. I hear that. So Kendra, what are boundaries? Mm. (laughs) I'm asking here trauma, you know, my trauma absolutely questioned boundaries or didn't, I'll tell you, I didn't really have the word in my vernacular. I definitely knew what a boundary was, but I didn't really have it as something that was mine until about, I would say five or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So help me out. What are boundaries? Well, I mean, I think it's a great question. I think even this is a very tricky area to get into, Mm -hmm. but I think even this idea where you say, I didn't realize they were something that was mine Mm -hmm. is really nuanced Yeah, because in one sense, I can absolutely come down the side of like, yes, you have boundaries and they're yours and they should always be honored. And, and then there's this other side, when you first ask the question, like I zoom out And the way I think about boundaries are simply delineating lines that exist. Mm. And and in that sense, they exist in nature, right? It's a line, like we think of boundaries personally in this certain way, but then we talk about like the boundary line Mm -hmm. uh, of a property or or even natural boundary lines like the Grand Canyon or a river and something happens when you come up against, let alone cross, or they require something of us when we touch them. Right. And so I don't necessarily, one of the reasons actually that I created my program Beyond Boundaries was because I think there's often this this idea that there's just this hard line. Mm. It should never be crossed rather than, oh, something is required of us and there are consequences to touching a boundary line. Mm-hmm. But we, we all know to some extent that also boundaries are different and where the boundary line is, like what is what happens when you come up against a certain boundary line if you're my dear friend or if you're my lover or if you're a stranger or if you're a family member, or if you're my boss, it's different. Mm -hmm. So it's not this hard and fast line. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I would say is, and this isn't exactly answering your question, but (laughs) is that I really do like to approach the idea of boundaries as, as they, they already exist. So they are something within us, or within other people, or within relational dynamics, or in nature, that already exists, whether we know it's there or not, whether we ever speak it out loud to another person, like that, it actually already exists, and there are consequences, by which I don't mean punishment or necessarily something bad, but there are consequences uh, around it again, whether we know it or whether we ever say it out loud, or you know, the way it's talked about is set it right to set a boundary. Right. I hear that. 
I mean, what I, in my experience, I definitely had a sense of powerlessness. Is powerlessness mm -hmm. a word? It is powerlessness. And that feeling definitely affected how I interact with the world. So in other words, there are ways that I have, especially in my past, showed up that either were like diminishing my existence and not asking for what I want or saying what it is I need in that moment, whether it's somebody who's like rearranging my shit on my desk yeah. or cornering me or somebody making, you know, somebody even in a, let's call it in authority, somebody in a hierarchical construct who's higher than me saying something like, you look great today. Do you have a hot date? Mm. So like I either left those off or as I watched somebody play with the shit on my desk, I would like, my palms were sweaty, but I was like, okay, you know, that's just what they need right now versus like, this is what I need right now. Yes. Yeah. So how does boundary pushing or trespassing show up, whether it's in a relationship or with strangers? Yeah, I love those examples. I'm sort of pausing to go which, you know, which direction to go first. So one thing I want to name is the way you talked about your sense of powerlessness. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I want to name again, that then this piece, like we talk about trauma and I would distinguish between trauma and a trauma response. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you and, you know, many of the people who listen would, you know, might have some um, awareness of this also, which is recognizing. So a trauma response in a lot of ways points to this is the only or the main way I know how to get what I want or to feel safe. Yes. And whether a person can trace that back to what we would quote unquote name as trauma or not, I think it's valuable to name that that is a trauma response. Yes. Now, in the example of someone, you know, fussing around with the stuff on your desk, we could point to at least two responses, right? And, and yours of um, at least maybe in that particular moment of just letting them continue mm -hmm. is a certain kind of trauma response. Yeah. Right. Because it's safer. Even if I don't feel safe with someone messing with the stuff on my desk, I feel safer saying nothing than I do saying, please stop. Right. And so then again, to zoom out into what is a boundary, another way that I talk about a boundary is the delineating line that says, this is what happens inside this space or in this relational dynamic. And this is not. Mm. Yeah. So making it really clear. Yeah. And again, we take it out of the line of like morality or that right. we always know what that is, but like between you and I, that might be different, right? Oh, what happens in our relational dynamic, right? The container of that delineating, this is what happens inside this space and this is what does not. Mm. Or related to the example of your desk, I might say what happens inside my house is that people take their shoes off. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean I cannot be friends with people who don't take their shoes off. It means we might not, they might not come in my house. Mm -hmm. 
So, right, that's, that's, again, something happens when we bump up against that boundary line. Yeah. Now, both related to someone like messing with your desk or someone with the shoes is that it's helpful to remember that that person, they may never have heard, it may never have like ever entered a house where people take their shoes off. Mm-hmm. And so for them to walk in my house with their shoes on, I might experience it as a boundary violation. And I might even feel offended. Mm -hmm. And they may be clueless. Right. And so now does that mean that I do not have the right to say, oh, actually we take shoes off in this house. Of course not. Just because they don't know doesn't mean I can't say something. Right. But it it helps remove a little bit of the charge mm-hmm. of how could they disrespect me like that? Right. Right. Why are they pushing my boundaries? Yeah. Now, of course, there's gradations and there are times when people know exactly what they're doing. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to say like that's never the case, but it's helpful. And and again, this idea of giving someone the benefit of the doubt sometimes gets used to like, oh, well, that means I shouldn't say anything because they're a good person. Mm. And that doesn't mean that, right? We don't have to map these things over. It just means like, I don't necessarily have to put all the charge of how dare they disrespect me like that? How dare you walk into my house with your shoes on rather than, oh, we take our shoes off. Would you know, would you mind please putting them on the shoe rack? Mm-hmm. I love that example. It makes it so, well, two things. It makes it really simple to take in. And also what I love about it is the honoring of both parties. Yeah. Right. This is like, I've got the thing. You may not know the thing. I'm not going to aggressively chew you out for not knowing that we, we don't wear shoes in this house. Yeah. It's very much like an agreement versus an expectation. Yeah. And then it's to the point of the the where it's not an agreement is if they say like, oh, I don't take my shoes off. So too bad. Yeah. My boundary does not require your agreement. Yes. So at that point, then there's a consequence. Oh, well, then let's go talk in the garden. Or perhaps we should set up a time to meet some, you know, where we can be somewhere else. Right. Because that always happens here. Yeah. And, and again, then, I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole of if they refuse or all these sort of things, but, but we can bump up against something and it is, we can meet the first layer more like agreement, which just has less charge to it. Yeah. And then, but then the second layer really is like, but my boundary actually does not require your agreement. Yes. It simply is what happens in this space. Right. It simply is right. And then what's really important about that is that there is this place where ultimately they are ours to keep. Mm. So if that person, again, says like, well, too bad, I never take my shoes off. You know, I shower with my shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) We can say like, they're not honoring my boundary, but it being ours to keep is that place of, well, then let's step out of the house and figure out what happens next. Or then I'm going to need us to meet outside or then, right, like I... I get to then say what happens if somebody will not take their shoes off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is the maker of the boundary is the keeper of the boundary. Yes. Yeah. I do. It feels always very important to stress that 
like the other person's behavior is also their responsibility. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is incumbent on other people to respect our boundaries. And, you know, I'll just bring in a little bit more of a nuanced example that I think it, it has more charge is I had a woman in my no man diet program who set a boundary with a man she had been flirting with. And she said, I don't want us to have contact anymore. Hmm. Uh, and then he texted her. And so there's a very obvious, we can say, well, he wasn't honoring her boundary. And that's true. She said, I don't want us to text anymore. And he, right. I don't want us to have any contact. And he texted her, but then she texted him back hmm. and engaged a conversation. Right. And then, and then basically it was like, why is he not honoring my boundary? And I said, well, you didn't need to respond. If you don't want to have contact, that's actually on you to not respond. Mm. Now, there might be a point if he keeps reaching out, or it really is like one of those boundary pushing things to say, I, you know, I'd like to say one more time, please do not contact me until blah, 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 or, you know, until I reach out or, you know, all these things, there might be another clear boundary line, but the re-engaging came from her. Yes, I hear that. And that is often the case. And what's very tricky again is that it doesn't have, there doesn't have to be any blame, shame, or self-judgment. It's just, oh, I re-engage. Okay, if this is my boundary line, how can I hold it now? Right. And how can I practice this in the world? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's really cool. Do you want for a moment? to talk about your no man diet and how I, I, I hate your program, the no man diet uh -huh. and how, how the participants really learn about their boundaries. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's not uh, specifically a boundary program. Yeah. But I imagine really there's a whole lot. Helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is where, um, I have a, a, a free class actually on my website that's called Boundaries as a Sacred Act of Love or Sacred Boundaries, something like that. And it's because I really do hold this like boundaries as these sacred containers that we set for ourselves. Yeah. And that other people get to be part of that, but that they're these sacred containers that we get to set and hold and feel for ourselves. And so in some way, I would say the no man diet is that for the women who mm -hmm. engage in it. We, we actually spend three weeks like layering in what is the sacred container that they're holding for themselves throughout the process of their own, you know, some call it a relational reset or a masculine cleanse or a no man diet or, but they layer in all those pieces of container about what will happen during this time and what will not happen during this time. Yeah. So for the sake of our listeners, some people may not have ever heard the term container mm -hmm. in their own lives, other than something to put something in the refrigerator. Can you share what a container is and even more um, what a sacred container is? Yeah. So in some way, I mean, again, I really love the like kind of looking at boundaries as container and container as boundaries. And it, and even that thing of something you put things in in your refrigerator is mm -hmm. not a bad analogy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because it is something that holds us. Mm -hmm. So a cup holds water. 
And I would say that some what makes a container sacred is our consciousness, our awareness, our intentionality. And so in some way, I would say we are always in container. And whether we feel held and supported probably has to do with how intentionally mm-hmm. we have either set them up or chosen or asked others to be part of what holds us. So the agreements that we have with people are part of our container. I mean, our homes are a physical container. Mm -hmm. Our skin is a physical container. The agreements we have with ourselves are a container that holds us, the commitments that we make. And so all, all of those things make up a container, the things that we will do and that we won't do. And I would always say that that choosing into those for time periods, like time itself is a container. Mm-hmm. If we say, I, you know, I will talk to you for an hour, you know, part of what makes that sacred is we agree to it and it's intentional. And then we offer, you know, devotion or sacredness or um, a way of offering love to each other and to the container is that then we, we keep to that mm-hmm. or we renegotiate. We're having such a great conversation that we see that it's almost at the hour. And, you know, I say, oh my goodness, Karen, like, can we keep talking for 15, 15 more minutes? Right. And then you get to say like, yes, that would be fantastic. Or no, I have somewhere I want to be or. Mm -hmm. So we choose. And so in that broader sense, right. In the no man diet, right. Women are generally choosing no dating, no sex, no relationship or no engaging in certain behaviors for a specific period of time. Hmm. That's really cool. How, how long is, not that we're here to promote the no man diet, but let's do it. Um, (laughs) How long is that program? The program is 12 weeks. Oh, wow. And generally speaking that I encourage the women you know, to choose their container at least within that time frame. But I actually have many women who choose to extend their container longer than that. Mm. And consistently, uh, I have women at some point, you know, about a month in or a month and a half in, and they say, oh my goodness, Kendra, this should be six months long. And mm. I say, I know, <laughs> but you never would have joined if it right. was six months. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Really cool. Kendra, I'm curious. I think we've touched on the sharing of boundaries, the sacredness for people like me. Yeah. People like me who are new to knowing that I have a line. Mm-hmm. How do you imagine I and people like me could? firm up our boundaries? Mm -hmm. First thing I always encourage, I do a whole teaching piece and there's actually several practices that go with this that are in my Beyond Boundaries program. But the the one main one that I would say to you or to your listeners is, is first is to start to notice the places that you feel like resentment, Mm. offended, like imposed upon some form of defense, like the need to, like that, that both either energetic or physical sense of like a defense. Mm -hmm. And then my encouragement always is actually just to begin to acknowledge those places to oneself. Mm -hmm. 
before any uh, obligation or idea of like, I need to set boundaries, I need to have better boundaries, I need to make sure that people honor my boundaries, is really taking the time because, because again, I find that many, many people are uncomfortable just in their own selves with, with acknowledging that they have boundaries or limits. Mm-hmm. Like we all like the idea, like this, there's even the idea that we're all one, unconditional love, or even being limitless. Mm-hmm. It's sort of appealing to people, but the truth is like we are limited beings born into finite bodies in a finite realm. And, and so just the acknowledgement of, of starting to notice, like if I feel resentful or I don't know, what would you name as the, maybe the sensation or emotion that came up when that person started fiddling with stuff on your desk? So this, the, the body sensation I had was like, my palms are sweaty and I just want you to fucking stop. And I'm going to diminish what I want because you and I are having a conversation and we need to get through it. I don't want to upset you. Yeah. So I, and then I don't know if this is correct for you, but I would almost say like that. I just want you to fucking stop. It it is like a little bit of, we could call it resentment or frustration. Yes. Okay. Just as a place to to look, but I would say what these sensations that arise for anyone who's hearing this is like when that comes up and and it can be hard if you're in a conversation, right? Something was happening. I'll touch on that in just a moment, but whether it's, you know, a daily piece, whether it's a weekly sort of reflection, like looking back and going, you know, where do I feel resentful? Where do I feel impinged upon? Where did I feel defensive? And starting to actually sense or feel or see name to oneself, oh, in order for me to not have felt that way, I would have needed. Mm. Now, it's not necessarily anyone else's responsibility to keep us from not feeling certain things. So we're not jumping to the other person yet. We're just naming for ourselves, like in order to not have felt that way, I would have needed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in that example, it could be like, I would have needed them to stop touching my stuff. Yeah. So we just start to realize like, oh, there is a, there's a boundary line there. Right. And you may never say that out loud, but just knowing it for yourself will actually change things. Mm-hmm. And then imagine, you know, I don't know, some mom and like some PTA, such, I don't even know if we have PTA anymore, but like feeling resentful, she's up really late making cupcakes for some stupid school function and feeling resentful, like, oh, right. Kendra said, like, where do I feel resentful? Oh, what I would have needed. And, and the first impulse might be like that they didn't ask me to make cupcakes. Mm. And that's a starting point. It's great. I say always celebrate and, and acknowledge like wherever the starting point is. Mm-hmm. But then we might be able to walk that, that back to like for me to not be making cupcakes. Right. Which doesn't have anything to do with whether they asked me. Right. Right. Yeah. But we start to notice in between them asking me and me making cupcakes, there was a boundary line. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I would just say, starting to look at all those things, like I have to do this or else mm-hmm. um, I'm not allowed to do this or else, or, and everywhere in there is some place that we actually have a boundary line that we may not believe can be honored, right. but it still exists. Yeah. I don't know, Kendra, if you noticed, but I, <laughs> I noticed upon reflection that you asked me 
how it felt yeah. when, you know, somebody was touching the stuff on my desk and I'm not somebody who, this is a trauma response. I'm not somebody who is used to feeling my feelings. So yeah. I don't know if you noticed that was really hard for me to say, I felt frustrated, resentful, angry, um, impinged upon whatever else. So I think it's important for this community to take that pause, mm-hmm. get into what it is you're feeling versus, if you're like me, versus your rage, just focused on the rage, like that fuck face. Yes. Right. What, what am I feeling is the beginning. Well, and what I love about that, I'm so glad you slowed that down and brought that piece in, is that I would say absolutely what you're talking about. So there's there's layers of process or practice that would be around simply feeling one's own body mm-hmm. sensations and emotions. And I would encourage doing that separate from high intensity moments or, or feelings. Mm. What would that look like? Just regular, I mean, daily if possible, weekly, if not, you know, um, moments of, of sitting in a fairly neutral, sitting, standing, lying down in a fairly neutral environment and, and checking like, what can I feel in my hands? Mm. What can I feel in my belly? Mm-hmm. What can I feel in my feet? Can I sense any emotion at all? Mm. And I really encourage people to um, to include nothing, numbness mm-hmm. as sensation. Absolutely. Because rather than I'm not feeling anything, I'm doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it it seems like there's no sensation in my belly. And simply the recognition of that, right? The numbness or the whatever it is, like it feels not, I feel numbness here mm-hmm. actually acknowledges that place in a way that often allows for some other little piece to start to come through. Mm. Yeah. And this is connected to what you said, which is, you know, you might feel white hot rage. Yes. So you might feel, you know, the other it's not really the other end of the spectrum. It's just another place of trauma response is some thought loop of what did I do wrong? Absolutely. Or it could be, one might call it shame Mm -hmm. or uh, fear. There's these pieces. And I would say always start with what's actually, what you can actually sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And just don't get like don't assume I guess what I want to say is like don't assume that's all there is right but don't dismiss the rage or dismiss the numbness or dismiss the what did I do wrong start there and mm-hmm. then see if you can walk breadcrumbs to like and what else and where did that start and what thought did I have and was there a physical sensation with it yeah really yeah I love that I don't know um I don't imagine that you heard this in prior episodes, I'm bringing it up because it's important to me. So as somebody who has been practicing feeling my feelings for several years, and, you know, after 
the vast majority of my life stuffing down my feelings. I have imagined, you know how there's like a periodic chart of the elements? Yes. I've imagined a periodic chart of feelings. And if possible, that that periodic chart could hover above every human's head. (laughs) And so it's not identifying their feelings. I get to look at it to remind myself, these are the feeling options that I have because even naming feelings Mm -hmm. is new. Mm -hmm. So if every one of us had the periodic chart hovering above our head of feelings, I feel like that's a, like, a, like I'm going to hack the, the practice. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think like anything that, that supports that process for anyone is a useful tool. Right. And then, that, yeah, that it's always, I mean, I would say simultaneously, right? Like use the tools that allow you to contact more direct mm. experience. Yeah. And then always remember that the map is not the territory. Yeah. Um, and just and just holding both, right? So the, the periodic table of elements is not actually hydrogen, mm-hmm. oxygen, right? It's not, not the actual thing. And it is that place we go, oh, right, that exists, which helps right. me remember it. Maybe it exists in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah. So we, there was all this content that just came from what happened. And I want to zoom back to the actual thing, which is that you slowed us down, Mm -hmm. which is so beautiful and so brave. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. And it can be, you know, it's, it's like, um, I mean, you can't see me right now, but I have this big smile on my face (laughs) because I love that so much. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like that moment when someone was messing with stuff on your desk, those moments can feel very both contracted and sped up, Mm -hmm. but so can moments when we get excited, right? You and I are talking about, I'm talking about boundaries. I'm so excited and I have all this stuff I want to say. And so it's really brave in any of those circumstances. Oh, let's just, let's see what happens if we just slow it down Mm. for a moment. What else is here? Yeah. And I, I think that I would say almost always, if not always, it makes every experience richer. Yeah, I agree. I think there was a time in my life where, very recently, in fact, where I would have come off as some sort of expert in bullshit. I don't know, an expert and <laughs> right? Like, oh, I totally get you, Kendra. I totally get what this means. It has never been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And so I want, I'm grateful to you for seeing that and acknowledging it. And um, I've learned in, in over the past few years that simple for me is, is actually deeper and more lasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't need to know right? I don't need to know the universe. I'm experiencing the universe for the first time. Hmm. Yeah. And with that, I would just like to to pull on that, that thread for a moment and say that, um, then again, like another useful way to begin to recognize where our boundaries are Mm 
is simply noticing, I don't like that. Yeah. And it can be so tantalizing to want to go, I don't like that because, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes there's value there, but often it's, it's almost a justification rather than just, I don't like that. So, and then, and if I stay there, maybe I can determine what I need, you know, want, don't want sort of in the realm of, of something is happening that I don't like. Yes. And I would just say that it's very intimately connected with, I like that. Mm -hmm. And again, not always knowing like, why do I like that? Or, you know, uh, what makes that reasonable? Just like, oh, I like that. Yeah. And, and I would sort of drop this little pebble into the pond of the, the other side I like to look at boundaries from is from the side of, I like that. Mm -hmm. And what is needed in order to create space in which more of, I like that can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. It was interesting as you were talking about, you know, the simplicity of, I don't like that. And then you brought in, I like that all of a sudden (laughs) it was like the sun started to shine. Oh, right. (laughs) A boundary is also right. There's that space where I like things that can also exist. Yes. Yeah. And I get to, right. I get to choose and notice and habituate or whatever. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if we try to jump to that too fast, that, you know, there, there, there are sort of other realms of boundaries that are important, but it's helpful. Almost like when you said the sun, right. To see the light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. like, why would I want to do this sort of uncomfortable, <laughs> grueling work of boundaries is, um, and this is where I talk about container also and delineating line is like, if I'm going to grow a garden, for instance, and I have little baby plants, little baby trees, and I have deer in my area, mm-hmm. I might put up a fence around my little baby garden. And it's not because I hate deer. Yeah. It's because I love my little baby plants. Right. And I like that when they grow, I like that. Yes. <laughs> eaten before they're big enough. I don't like that. <laughs> right. The deer can go eat somewhere where people are okay with them eating, but that's exactly. not here. And my fence just guides that, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like a hateful thing. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, no, no, you don't eat in here. You eat out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was reminded of my kids when they were little. Mm. When you, I, there was something about the baby garden and the deer you're both of those things very much a part of my children's lives. And what really struck me, struck me in thinking about my kids in that moment was my kids have always been really good from the time they were very little in saying, I don't like that. Yes. And I like that. And I'm <laughs> right. And at some point we decide that either it's not for me or I can't do this or it's unfair or who am I to draw a line? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what changes us. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, some of us can point very clearly to an experience or you know, a series of repeated experience where I don't like that was, was punished. Yes in some way, again, it can be very dramatic and something that we would all agree is trauma. 
mm-hmm. or it can just be those kind of larger social pieces that come in that, and it, it could be, I like this, right? I like this. And someone says, you, you like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like to hold, if we're, when we're looking at kind of the larger abstract world in this way, I like to hold both this idea that we could do things better and that it's not really about purity. Mm-hmm. Like we may never be able to have it such that children never experience some rupture or break in belonging. Mm-hmm. And, and our, but, but can we hold that inside like a, like a wider or richer context of, of how we come back, how we repair from rupture? Mm. How do you imagine we could? Mm. Well, I'm kind of holding this two ways. One is I'm thinking about, you know, people like you and I as adults mm-hmm. and where there is a place, you know, with other adults, I mean, I would almost say that something that can seem externally as simple as you naming a feeling with me mm-hmm. publicly that other people might hear and also slowing down the moment, right? And, and my uh, reflection of that, right? Like that's, that is, that is some process of of healing. Yes. And so yeah. that I, without going into too much detail, it's sort of like those spaces, how do we do that with each other? Yes. And then I also, I just think about my children that are younger than they're eight and 12 right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can, I can think of times when I've been sharp with like my daughter who's eight mm-hmm. or I've said something that, you know, I might want to take back the next moment. But then I think about you know, if she looks at me in a certain way or she cries or she, you know, this, I can actually turn to her and say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, can I give you a hug? Yeah. Or even if she's having feelings that it's not about something that I did, but that I can be with her rupture. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something I actually think about a lot is what is our role as parents in show like modeling that their feelings are not scary. Yeah. Which means I have to show my children that their feelings are not scary to me, mm-hmm. uh, which means it's okay. And it, it's not like, it's okay. Don't be sad. There's nothing to be sad about. Right. I have to show her that actually her sadness doesn't scare me. Yes. But you're not going to say anything like there's nothing to be sad about. Right. But, you know, as a parent. Yeah. Certainly the impulse is there sometimes. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Kendra, I don't I, I may have shared this with you a long time ago, but along those lines, whenever my older son, Sam, when he was very little, if he would like fall or get hurt or mostly it was when he, he fell or, you know, got hit by a toy that he did himself Yes, and he would cry. I would do something to make him laugh Mm -hmm. and fast forward to when he's three and a half. So this was, you know, up until then fast forward to he's three and a half and he dropped his snack (laughs) in our giant minivan, minivans were all the rage, rage then. I don't know if they still are, but he dropped his snack and the a minivan was like a small house. There was no way. I mean, I'm only five, one and a half. My arms are not very long. There was no way I could get it while driving. And he was crying. And 
I did something to try and make him laugh. And he said to me, when do I get to cry my own tears? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can picture what he was wearing and I can picture the day. It was one of those like, wow. Yeah. Right. Our kids tell us what they need and they tell us the truth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When do I get to cry my own tears? I was like, fuck, I suck. <laughs> no, I, I really was struck by that. Oh, oh man. I mean, yeah. Like what a, what a teacher. Yes. Know? Yeah. Well, and it is funny because almost on the other end of the spectrum, I used to ask my kids when they would come home or we'd be going to sleep and I would say, was, you know, was there anything sad at school or did anything scare you or make you uncomfortable? It was kind of my way of like, I want them to feel like they could tell me anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember my son, he was like, why don't you ever ask us like what, what we're happy about or something? <laughs> like, how was your day? Yeah, how are you, just really how many threats like, did you have? <laughs> yeah, that I was trying to, in, you know, encourage that part. Yeah. And he was noticing the like, yeah, and sometimes it's just good. Like, <laughs> why do we have to focus on what we were scared about today? I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Kendra, what are you most excited about in your world? Mm. Do you have any new programs, any, anything that's about to launch um, a new group in case anyone's interested in sacred boundaries or the no man diet? I mean, both of those Okay. Are, are absolutely there. Um, the great thing about Beyond Boundaries, that, so there's a, in the resources section, and we can include this, I can just send you the link. It'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. So so just to say there, there's like the, the free class that's there all the time and people can um, get a sense from there. But then the program itself, Beyond Boundaries, is always available. Mm. And I have to say, <laughs> it is a little uncomfortable for me, but I... It is a great program. One of the things that I am really proud about with Beyond Boundaries is how consistently people come back to me and say, like, I never understood boundaries before, or I was scared about boundaries, or like, this has changed the entire way I think about boundaries. Mm. And it's almost like if I had a goal around that is that I like, I want people to fall in love with boundaries. Mm. And I think it does that. Like I actually think people go and they're like, oh, this could be, this could feel good. Like this could be fun. This could actually be a way to create connection. And I I think it really does that. So, I mean, in some way, if I was really going to like steer people in one direction, I would say definitely check that out. Mm, Yeah. Kendra, what I, I imagine, and I'll take a look at the program too, because clearly sounds like something I should check out. I imagine that your participants fall in love with boundaries as they, it might sound weird, but fall in love with you. And I don't mean it in a way that they're falling in love with you and that's your goal, but Mm -hmm. it's the way that you be with the okayness of not getting something right. the love and the patience and the truth that you bring and the safety. There's so much love in what you do. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm curious, what has been most helpful for you being in the Trauma Hiders Club today? Mm. Um, I mean, I really, I really think it was that moment when you slowed us down. Mm-hmm. It was for a couple of reasons. One is I just was so grateful to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other is, it's I, again, it's so helpful for me to remember that the like the language mm-hmm. around emotion and body sensations is not always available to everyone. And I, I, I do forget that. Mm-hmm. And I so deeply like care about both making boundary work accessible, but also be like knowing how to to create those breadcrumbs to fall to come back to mm-hmm. the language and the experience of our bodies and our emotions and um and that really helped me to do that in that moment love that well it's been wonderful having you here um i came into this conversation having had a a bit of frustration and i'm leaving this conversation with peace and stillness and quiet in the best ways possible. Mm. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, Discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.